Greetings. Welcome to the Trost Podcast. I'm Jan, your host, and this episode we will be talking about Yule. If you are finding this episode before Yule, I hope it will inspire you to add, adapt, or create new activities for Yule for you and your family. If you found this episode during the Yule season or Twelfth Night, it's not too late to start. Just step right in, pick a day to start, and start adding those traditions to your practices. Yule is often considered to be one of the high feasts of our ancestors of the northern lands, probably considered one of the highest and the holiest of the the feasts and festivals that were celebrated by the pre-Christian people. And uh, there's a lot of different traditions that have lasted through the Christian times and into the times we have today. And I think this is how we understand a lot of the what we believe, how Yule was celebrated. And at least, if nothing else, we can uh, take a look at some of those and see how they were important to people in the past and how they can be important to us today or how we can even... Uh, tweak them just a little bit and make them relevant and important to us and and adapted to us and how can we make them vibrant and alive in our families and in our in our practices today one of the practices of yule that that many of the northern lands had was a 13 or 12 nights of yule and during that time it was considered that the gods and goddesses walked freely among Midgard. Trolls and the Alifar uh, were left their homes and came and visited and walked freely amongst humans as well. And those who are closest to the other world may also pass in and out of the realms. And this is often called the Wild Hunt or uh, the Asgard Ride and led by Odin and uh, hosts of spirits and and the dead that would go around and visit the folks of Midgard. So Yule can be a time of the greatest of the joy and feasting. The way that it has migrated, of course, Christianity, when it became the dominant religion of Europe, the church couldn't really put down a lot of those traditions, it it seems, and so they just kind of absorbed those traditions. They changed names and changed gods and goddesses into saints and changed the birth of Christ from when it may have been either in late spring or, or late fall to December 25th, which was right around the Yule time. Of course, um, they couldn't exactly have it on winter solstice because that would probably be too obvious to the people, but at least they absorbed the, the, a lot of the traditions, and the folk wouldn't let the traditions go. They said, these are too important to us. This is part of our, our ancestors and who we are. And they changed them a little bit. A lot of what we have today can probably be traced back to our ancestors through those surviving traditions. Uh, one of the other things that uh, Yule celebrates is the re- the return of the sun or Sunna. We have gone through the very very dark periods of time, and probably the darkest of the the times from about late October through winter solstice, which usually occurs around the 20th or 21st of December. And from now on, the days are going to be growing longer. Winter solstice is the the shortest day and the longest night. And from then on, the days just kind of get longer and longer. It doesn't really become too noticeable, probably until about mid-January. Then we really start noticing, hey, it's light uh, a lot later. So those are good things as well. 
One of the things that we know about Yule, or that we can surmise about Yule, but what and also what Yule has become is it's it's not a single day, it's um, it's a season. Many of the traditions, of course, uh, have uh, twelve or thirteen nights, as I mentioned earlier, and it's really interesting that even after Christianity became the dominant, they kind of celebrate the birth of Christ on a specific day. But there's also a lot of other surrounding times that lead up to it that people get all excited about it and um, we have of course the 12 days of christmas song and a lot of that has been preserved in christianity and christian practices and i'm pretty sure that would come from the practice of the 12 nights or the 13 nights of yule and it's really kind of interesting how those things just migrated in and are, are preserved for us one of the practices of Yule in the Shetland Islands retains a lot of, of culture from the, the Norse invasions and the Norse uh, migrations and practices is that um, the whole month was filled with celebration. And it began with the release of trolls from the underground uh, seven days before Yule night, and they lasted until the 24th night or right around sometime in mid early January. And then they were banished and uh, sent back into the underground. However, most Germanic and Scandinavian countries, I'm sure, celebrate the Yule season as around 13 nights. In Germany, it's called the Weihnachten, or the Wein Nights. And these are generally recognized as the space between winter solstice, or Yule, and the New Year. And it's the uh, time and space and kind of mixes up. We're kind of in a border area where magic can happen and a lot of the veils are thin between the worlds. This is generally a time when things that happen between this period are kind of really mighty and generally have a lot of power and a lot of hold on us. So this year in 2016 the winter solstice actually occurs uh, on December 21st at 2:44 a.m. according to Al Almanacs uh, and that specific time. And then depending on where you are in the world, of course, um, that will change. And folks like the Anglo-Saxons, their Yule began the night before the solstice, and that was called Mother Night. That was the time uh, that was particularly given to the Desir, perhaps specifically to Frigga or even Freya. It was a time when family would gather and spend a lot of time together at home and work with their Desir of their family. So, the mightiest night of Yule is the actual solstice. It's the longest night of the year uh, when the, the whites and trolls and the ancestors uh, wander the world. The human hold on the earth was at its weakest point. This was a night when the Yule log was burned and, and a watch was kept over it. And it was also a night when oaths were made. So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're moving into the time when the veils are thin and uh, a lot of back and forth between, and a lot of magic and, and things can happen at this time. The season, of course, as we mentioned earlier, was about 12 or 13 nights long, and at the end of that was considered the new year. Oaths were made, and the things that they did on that 12th or 13th night kind of set the tone for the year to come. So it was often considered that uh, a symbol was really the mightiest that was held on the twelfth night when oaths were made that um, were ones that you really wanted to be sure that you would 
follow through and make sure that you made happen uh, to the best of your ability. Sometimes these oaths were sworn on a cup, uh, maybe a cup of mead or other ale or drink. And they were also sworn on the Yule, it was, it was also called the Yule Boar. Making these oaths were fairly serious. So you're calling on not only the people around you to witness your oaths, but you're witnessing them uh, or making them with the, the whites and the gods and goddesses being right really present with us. Our oaths are always serious and we should always be making oaths with the best of intents that we are going to keep. We shouldn't make oaths lightly, in other words. So Yule is also known for time when the gods and goddesses, as we mentioned earlier, and the beings are all about. Now Yule and Winter Nights has a lot in common. They both are times of rejoicing, both mark the end of a phase of a year's work, and um, have a lot of feasting. Um, it's one of the nice things about heathenry is we get to eat a lot. The thing with feasting is, is that means it brings people together. So we get to spend a lot of time with family, friends, family of choice, family uh, being our clans, our kins, uh, the folks that are surrounding us and supporting us. And at both, we call the ghosts of our elder kin or our ancestors to come and partake with that feasting. And we share with them uh, we prepare special foods or foods that they liked if we want to um, meet with specific or, or give offerings to specific ancestors. We might find something that they really like and make sure that that's at the table or we set a place for them and we give them food. Uh, some traditions are that the food, if you're close to water, you put it into a little, a little boat or a ship and then send that off into the water with that food in it and sending it off into the elder world or the, the, the other world for them. I remember doing a Yule ritual once and we had some feasting and we were actually down by the bay and we put a little bit of everything onto the boat and the little boat that we had fashioned and set it off into the bay and... <laughs> Um, and cut a little candle on it, and it got a little bit off there. Um, took a while for it to get away because it was going against the tide. But once it finally got out there, the seagulls attacked it, and it didn't last long. <laughs> but we did send that off. It was a really great blessing and a process that every person put a little bit of something in honor of their ancestors onto this this platter or this boat that we had fashioned and sent it off with great ceremony. It was actually part of the ritual that we had sent it off into the ocean. It was it was very, very moving and very very exciting. But we call the ghosts and our of our ancestors to join us with our feasting and it's a great time. So there's a couple of uh, differences between Yule and Winter Nights. For instance, uh, Winter Nights the dead come as a part of the order of the worlds, and specifically the Alfs and the Edesis come to feast with their kin. And although they might be feared, they're coming just to keep the old order safe and just be with us. But at Yule, the dead and the whites, they just wander freely. They bring all of the hosts of the worlds into Midgard with them. And sometimes that might bring some that may not have the best of intents. So a lot of the Yule customs were established to protect the fe the living from some of those perhaps ill consequences that come from all of the beings wandering about the earth uh, at that time and setting in order 
for the the year to come good things that would happen or positive things that would happen for the family. Now it's possible that uh, we may be a little bit not quite as uh, sensitive to those types of things because we live in a very hectic time and things are really crazy and we may just not notice a lot of the dead or those beings uh, about us. Uh, but it might might do well to just take a little time and to um, turn off the TV and turn off the music and just sit and consider what's going on. Set up some protections around your home and your hearth, your people, and sense who's about and who's coming and who's, who's there to support you and do well with you uh, and who may be there that may not have the best of intent that you can ward off and or distract off and you know, send them you know, just have have them pass over you and and go on to uh, not to someone else, but to um, make it back to where they came from and to not harm anyone. So there's a lot of things that we can pull out of our uh, out of these traditions and see what we can do to work them into our current traditions and make them work well with us today. So one of the more well-known aspects of Yule is called the Wild Hunt. Now, the wild hunt has been given the term for it, but it's also uh, probably more appropriately named as the Furious Host. And Odin is the leader of the Furious Host, or Woden's Host, and this has a lot of traditions going through uh, Switzerland and Germanic, uh, the Germanic lands, where Odin leads the host of these beings throughout the lands. The most common understanding of this is called the Wode Host, um, is that it's basically a horde of restless dead going through the lands and passing by homes and things like that. And there's a lot of different traditions that are associated with it. For instance, the living shouldn't become entangled with the Wode Host because it's possible that that person might get caught up with the Wode Host and not be returned for some time, or they may get caught up in it and, and lose themselves. And there are stories of different people that have interacted and the the results of their interactions with the Wode host. You can find those um, throughout different books and stories and tales about the Wild Hunt or the Wode host. One of the traditions is, uh, that come from some of the, the lands are you should have your doors open so that the Wode host can pass through freely. Some of them are like, no, you should shut them down because if Odin comes in and visits, that that could bring some bad luck throughout the year. So. Um, depending on where you are depends on the kind of traditions and I guess what we have to do is figure out what is working for us and what is meaningful to us and and uh, or build our relationship and with the gods and goddesses and if you build your relationship with Odin you find out what those things will mean often gifts of food and drink were left for the Wode host so that when they did pass by uh, they wouldn't stop and linger and it was also um, a bit of hospitality. Uh, you give some gifts for them so that they can be nourished and taken care of, and you're showing that respect as they pass by, and possibly their gift to you would be they don't linger and, and cause ill will on the, ho- on the house. It was also thought that although they, they were restless dead and they apparently brought terror to the lands or, or fear, uh, they also brought fruitfulness to the field. It says that where the Wode host traveled, the grain sprung up the highest. 
and would be the most be the most fruitful at the time and that the the last sheaves were generally left for the woad host so that they would have things to eat uh, and to uh, to take with them or to be a part of that uh, that gift that gift for a gift so that uh, when they passed over the fields those fields would then become fruitful for the coming year it could also be thought that the woad host passing by is like an awakening force um, as they ramble through and plot along the ground and stuff because there's so much connection between fruitfulness and grain that when Odin passes by with that mighty horde from the other world, wisdom and inspiration would spring forth and Odin being the god of wisdom and inspiration, um, that might be just a byproduct of him passing by and with all of that otherworldly host traveling with him could open the doors for us and uh, bring fruitfulness not only to the land but to our own minds and to our uh, inspiration so that we can be awakened as well and, uh, and get that blessing back. So that's another reason why we would want to leave uh, food and drink out because we're giving a thanks in return for the those gifts of the awakening and stuff and it's just showing that respect and that hospitality as they pass by. So that would be like part of our duties and uh, of the living is for the host to be welcoming. Uh, they are coming by uh, and to uh, set out those offerings for them. So that kind of brings us to Woden and his host and maybe some correlations to Father Christmas or Santa Claus riding around the world with a, a host all the elves giving gifts, um, riding through the air on deer or maybe horses. So a lot of those traditions have kind of passed along now Christianity as it took over the land. They couldn't have um, a god riding around the world giving gifts. So they equated it to some of the, the bishops and the saints that were probably more, well, Either, either they actually were very kind and loving and giving, or they just assigned one uh, to one. St. Nicholas being the most common. The attributes of being a gift giver and is most commonly connected to the stories of Santa Claus or Santa Claus and, and those aspects of it. But um, an old man in a beard riding along with uh, a host um, and the result being gifts given out and in return we give gifts to them. Um, some of the traditions of Santa Claus in, in Europe are, and even here, are to leave something out, milk and cookies or cocoa. In um, Germany and Holland uh, the children would set out carrots or straw for uh, the, host, the horses that he rode on. Um, and uh, so those are some of the traditions that kind of continued on that became embedded in, and changed uh, as Christianity found they couldn't get rid of those things, those very deeply rooted traditions and those deeply rooted connections to the gods. So how do we take care or how do we deal with maybe some of the trolls or the, the whites that are about that may seem to be non-friendly? <clears throat> now, um, most of our homes will have friendly whites and protective whites and our families will have those protective whites. So we have them to work with and to strengthen and embolden as we work with them. Some of the traditions that have carried forth into Christian times were uh, putting crosses of straw 
on the doors of their houses or casting steel or iron into the wells, springs, putting rowan, knives being laid up on windowsills and door frames to keep the harmful spirits out. So we might be able to put things like a Thor's hammer or an Elhaz rune up to help protect us or asking our our housewives to really stand strong and, and protect us and to watch over us. Another things would be to go out and invite the friendly ones in um, and and have them, if you have a, all the lights on and a, a warm home and a lot of friendly folks here, maybe they'll pass by thinking, well, that is way too much for me to be able to deal with. So the, those whites will go on uh, and pass along knowing that they, they're not welcome. And there's too much of a force of, of strength and positive uh, in the, the home at the time so that they would just never get a, a, a foothold in there and be able to cause any uh, ill or harm. So that's kind of about um, setting up the feast for the ancestors, having your your the mighty dead and um, your ancestors uh, visiting and feasting with you. And some ways to do that would be to just invite them all in, you know, uh, maybe make a symbolic bed for them or pull a, uh, create a, if you have an empty bed, in the house for some reason, lay it out for them as you would a guest, an honored guest, and say, hey, this is this room, we're creating this room for you so that you can be welcome in our home. Setting out food for them, bread and cheese. Uh, of course, be careful of critters and spoilage. You don't want to have uh, crumbs and things around where um, it's going to cause a health hazard. But you know, set out a plate of food, uh, bread and cheese for them that can be uh, that can set out for a longer period of time and be that welcoming for them. Put out some beer or ale or wine, or if that's not something that can be done in your house because it's alcohol, set out a favorite drink, apple cider, coffee, things that you enjoy drinking. Set those out. What would you offer a guest that comes into the home? Set that out for your honored ancestors and uh, let that be your offering to them. Then in the morning, if you if you are in a place where you can put those food offerings out into the field or into your property, um, if you can't, then however you would normally dispose of those items that you make offerings to the gods with, do that. And of course, you you would take care of it the way that you normally would. Those are things that you could do for the the, the host is to leave that out for them all night so that they that they feel that welcoming and that, that set up. Cook your favorite food for them or their favorite food. Another thing that you can do is uh, if you happen to be close to the graves of your ancestors, of your loved ones that you know have passed, is take a visit to the grave. A lot of traditions in Europe are to go to the graves of their fam of family members, clean them off, bring fresh flowers, bring offerings of favorite food or drink. So let's talk a little bit about how some of the types of blessings that can be given. Of course, we've already talked about food, we've talked about beer, mead, and other non-alcoholic options. Some of the customs that have survived that we either traditionally through the Christian times or that we're able to uh, look at are the honoring of fruit trees. Fruit trees were very vital to the people in 
pre-industrial days. For one thing, if you have a very healthy fruit tree, you can get a lot of fruit out of it that can last for a long time. It can feed a lot of people. One tree can massively produce a lot of a lot of fruit. It was part of tradition and custom to honor those fruit trees so that they could have a, a good harvest and a, a very productive fruitful season in the coming season. Apples, of course, are very productive and very versatile. You can use them for a lot of things. So often some of the things that would happen around fruit trees or particularly apple trees in some areas is that villagers would circle the largest apple tree and make that honoring there. One of the traditions I read was that pieces of toast soaked in cider were hung from the tree uh, as they sung songs and made noises to scare away uh, any evil spirits that would keep the harvest from being fruitful. And often they would shake the trees, tie straw bands around them or wreaths around the trunks to decorate and honor them. The Swedish people would put crumbs and leftovers from the Yule meals around the fruit trees to make an offering for the fruitfulness of the coming year. Now at this time of year, the fruit trees are in hibernation. All the leaves are gone and it's like they're dead. So they're really trying to stimulate that whole death and rebirth aspect of it. So, so these were ways that the people connected one to each other and knowing that they were connected to each other but also to the fruitfulness that was needed. And if you don't have a fruit tree or, or a nut tree uh, that you can do something like that with, hang some pieces of fruit from your Yule tree if you, if you have a Yule tree in your home. If you don't have a Yule tree, a basket of fruit. Make that the honor thing and uh, sing songs for your fruit from this. We get our vegetables and fruits from all kinds of regions. But if you can do something locally, maybe you can work out with a local farmer or a person that you know who may have a fruit tree. Maybe just say, if they're not heathen or adept, just say, hey, you just wanted to go and connect with the fruit tree or somehow you can figure out the best way to do that. But those are some ways to do that. Or maybe there's a uh, little bit uh, out of your, your city or your town, you can find one and make that offering to them. I don't recommend decorating someone's tree without their permission because that's not good, but you can make offerings quietly and discreetly. That won't impact what they're doing, but also that you can make offerings and, and have that go into the earth and, and connect with that. So let's talk about, we, we just mentioned earlier about having a Yule tree in the house. What are some of those traditions that come about that we have today. We have lights up and uh, we bring in garlands and put wreaths on the door and trees in there. So what are some of those? Now the Christians have adapted all of that and say that the lights represent the light of Jesus and the the ornaments are the gifts. The gifts are the gifts of God giving to us. But there's a lot of other things that are more deeply rooted. The decorating of a house with greenery at Yule time is very traditional and it's decorated with the greenery that doesn't die in the winter time. Pine trees, yew trees, those types of items that stay green all year round. The green from these types of trees embody the life and death because they don't die off and they don't lose their foliage. They're the trees which represent the trees of the gods because of their everlastingness. Nowadays we pretty much use pine trees fir trees, those types of trees. Yew trees were also very traditional, but yew trees are also very toxic. So if you happen to want to bring in yew as a decoration or tree, be very, very careful. Do not recommend it if uh, 
you have small children or pets that might get into it, the sap is toxic, the leaves are toxic, the wood is toxic. If it happens to burn, it releases toxic fumes. So utilize you very, very carefully and very, very responsibly. But some things to do, or you could bring garland in and decorate tables and windows and fireplace sills if you have them. Or you could bring in a tree and decorate the tree. Or if you have a tree outside, decorate that outside tree um, so that you don't have to cut a tree and bring it in. But bringing some branches in or some types of greenery is can bring that outdoors in and just brightens up the area and makes it more festive. The bringing in the tree as a Yule tree is actually kind of attributed to uh, Southern German customs. We see today in, in modern heathenry the Yule tree as a, a tree of kinship or the embodiment of the world tree and all of the worlds connected to it. Exchanging your gifts, putting gifts under the tree can represent the gifts of the gods given to us, especially as the Wode host passes by and they leave those gifts. Gift for a gift. People exchange gifts one with one another. Now, we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing for our own traditions today or what you're doing as a, as a tradition with yourself or your family. One of the things that I read about as a suggestion with a family activity, and especially with the children, would be to weave a Yule wreath. Get some green branches. You can get these from tree lots where they're maybe selling them and they trim a bunch of branches off, you might be able to go and collect a bunch of leftover branches so that those branches don't go just into the chipper, but they can they can have a life of their own as well. Or you can buy some garland or maybe go out, bond with a, some tree out into the woods and cut your own. But to weave the branches into a wreath, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can manipulate the branches yourself or you get a wreath form and tie them on so that can kind of help you to maintain that shape a little bit easier. And then you decorate it. You can decorate it with small apples or holly, berries, cranberries are good, bows and ribbons and tiny little, little gifts, um, candy canes or sweets, things like that. Some tradition is, is to take that Yule wreath and to burn it. So if you intend to do that, decorate it with only combustible things that aren't going to release toxic fumes. Weave in strips of paper with wishes and blessings as part of that wreath. Those are really great things to do as well. I've woven my own Yule wreath out of branches from a tree lot. It actually kind of was an, an oval, not a, not a circle, but it was fun. It was a very very cool meditative and as I did that I just thought about the season what it meant to me and what I wanted for the coming year and just wove that together <laughs> some practices in ancient times and there was a discussion on a troth list about stopping projects uh, or not starting new projects during the Yule season some traditional practices were that all work was supposed to stop no more spinning no more starting new projects Projects that were already in process were supposed to be completed before the twelfth night so that they can have that that completion of the year. And then after twelfth night, then you can start new ones again because then you're, you're starting a fresh year and things are going on new. Because this was a time that was outside of normal time, so it was actually a time to really rest and relax. And given that uh, we were in the northern lands where it could be snowed in for days and weeks on end and probably wasn't too hard to do that 
because you're, you're not actually having to go out and till the land and things like that. So you were uh, able to have finish up those projects and not start new ones, just finish up those old projects, uh, get ready for the new year. Cooking and feasting at this time is usually don't hold back, really be lavish. Of course, you got to make sure that you, you have food for future. But when you had guests in, it was usually a very abundant feast. It was to celebrate and be setting a good hopefulness for the future celebrating the riches that you had of the year previously and celebrating that with future would be great so it's just at yule time it's important that when you have guests over to just celebrate with them and prepare for the future and the blessings and um, that's always a good thing then there's the tradition of the yule log and uh, what that means how that is so some of the best known of the customs is that the log would burn all night long and there would be watches kept over it to make sure that it keeps burning and then in the morning the night after yule the pieces of it were pulled out of the of the hearth and kept throughout the year to bring good luck that the next year some pieces would be saved throughout the whole year and then those would be used to help kindle the new yule log what this is is it's springing hope and connection from one season to the next that's tying things together it's keeping that weird connected through the years not every home has a fireplace anymore but there are ways to do that you can get a 24-hour burning candle or a 12-hour burning candle and set that light that off on yule night and let it burn throughout the evening be sure to keep a watch on it or burn it in a very safe place so that it won't cause any damage and then in the morning, there's traditions who, uh, after people have gone to sleep, whoever's the first up has to wake them up with a, a drink or a coffee or something like that. And that sounds like a good tradition. Whoever's first up should bring coffee in bed to everyone else. In Norwegian tradition, it's whoever's the first one up brings everyone a shot of schnapps. But find your traditions. See what works for you. Those are, those are great things. So now, how do we see the season out? Some traditions are that after the Yule season is that the family would go through the house and bang pots and pans, open all of the doors to the cabinets and to the closets and chase out any ill spirits that might be trying to hide and linger. Turn on all the lights in the house so that there's no shadows showing. And uh, you basically just kind of rustle up anyone that doesn't belong there and send them back out so that they go off to where they do belong. This is a perfect time to get things going and then you start the new year and you're starting fresh. To help you out with some tradition ideas, I found a great devotional, 12 devotional days of Yules on Hugen's Heathenhof. And it's written by Dagolf Lopsen. And it's really a great way to just start out and get some good ideas on some things to do for the 12 nights of Yule. So here they are. The first night would be Mother's Night, honoring Frigg, her handmaidens, and the Desir. And there's really a great prayer to all the goddesses and to honor the Desir and Frigga. And it's really kind of cool. The next is Sunna and Mani. After that, you honor Freyr and the Alfar, Loki and Sigyn, Odin and Frau Holda, Balder and Nana, Kari and his kin, Skadi and Ul, Njord and Nerthus, Freya, Idun and Bragi, and finally ending with Thor and Sif. And I'll tell you, that's really some great stuff there. Some great tips on what to do 
with your family or with friends, feasting and partying ideas. So just really a cool way to get started. And if you come to this in the middle of it, start where the, the night is and continue on, or you could start at the beginning and go forward, or you can just adapt it into your own way and your own prayers and your own adding the things from your own family. So it's really cool. So check it out. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more detailed information about Yule, uh, you can find it in Our Troth, Volume 2, published by The Troth. See show notes for more information, including a link. The book can be found on Amazon. And speaking of Amazon, if you are an Amazon customer and make purchases, go to smile.amazon.com. Select The Troth as your charity. Every purchase that you make a small donation will be made to the Troth. doesn't cost you anything extra, and the Troth benefits with your purchases. If you want some additional information, there are four issues of Iduna magazine published by the Troth that are dedicated to the topic of Yule, or Twelfth Night, and the Wild Hunt. So those issues are Iduna number 34, entitled Yule, published in winter of 1997. Issue number 74, called Yuletides, printed in winter of 2007. Issue number 90, titled The Wild Hunt, was printed in winter of 2011. And issue number 98 is titled German Yule, and it was printed in winter of 2013. All of these are available on lulu.com as either a PDF for $3 or a hard copy for $6 complete list of Iduna publications that you can order most of them from lulu.com. Check out the publications resource tab on the Troth's website. So thank you again, and we look forward to having you listen to more editions of the podcast, and have a great and blessed Yule. Old apple tree, we We will sail thee and hope that thou wilt bear hatfuls, catfuls, three bushel backfuls, and a little leap under the stairs. Three cheers for the old apple tree. Hip hip, hooray! Hip hip, hooray! Hip hip, hooray! Hooray.